welcome to our On The Hoof podcast series. In this episode, I am delighted to be chatting to Veterinary Investigation Officer, VIO, Megan Ferguson. Hello, Megan, and welcome. Hi, Alison. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, and tell us what we will be covering today. So today we thought it's a really good time of year to be talking about respiratory disease and cattle. Um, a lot of call-outs at this time of year are, are connected to respiratory disease, so it was a good opportunity just to have a little reminder of the important things we need to remember about it and um, how to do a really good job of a respiratory disease visit on farm. That's great, Megan. So getting back to basics, what actually is respiratory disease and why is it important? Bovine respiratory disease, we talk about being a complex rather than a specific disease, and that's because it involves a lot of different pathogens, um, but we don't always need to go on a pathogen hunt because with respiratory disease, we always have to take into account the environment as well because it has as much of an effect as, as the pathogens do. Um, so mm-hmm. we talk about it being this complex. And why is it important? Well, it's important because it causes deaths on farms. So it's a it's a massive loss of efficiency. Behind those deaths, there will be subtle or not so subtle production loss as well. So you'll have animals that aren't growing to their potential. They're not milking to, to their potential. And they're just slipping back. You know, they're being fed, they're being bedded, they're using money, but they're not bringing that money in at the end of the day. You've also got costs associated with um, treatment. So if your clients are using any treatment, they're paying for that. They're using their time to administer these treatments. So it has a, a massive cost there as well. I, I would say that respiratory disease is probably the number one disease for using antibiotics on farm of, of farms of all types. So, you know, if we can control it at the point where it begins, then then we'd be reducing antibiotic use as well, which is, is always a, a good thing to be doing. It has a, a big mental health um, implication as well on farmers you know if they're going out and, and seeing a, another sick animal another sick animal it's mm-hmm. it's um it, it can fairly take its toll and and if you as a vet can can turn up to visit do a respiratory visit really well and, and sort of put them on the path to to getting on top of it rather than treating case after case then that can only be a positive thing as well so all of these things together um it makes it you know one of the most important diseases on, on most farms particularly over the winter months which is why it's really good we're talking about it at this time of year. So respiratory disease has huge production costs uh, to the farmer and health and welfare of cattle and, 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 and as well as health and welfare of the farmer. Exactly. Yeah, we didn't mention animal welfare there. It's got massive implications as well. You know, we don't want these animals that we are breeding to be to be sick. So yeah, animal welfare, human welfare, economic financial costs as well. Um, so it is massively important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what clinical signs are you actually seeing on the farm in in, in the cattle? So, clinical signs of respiratory disease, you'll have a, a massive spectrum. So, you will get deaths. Some of these deaths can be sudden. Often, it's reported that you know an animal was fine the night before, and and you go out in the morning and it's lying dead. So, you'll get get those. You'll also get you know coughing, increased respiratory rate, nasal discharge, ocular discharge. These are all clinical signs that we see. There will be more subtle ones as well, though. So for all of the obviously clinical cases, you will have some subclinical ones that just maybe have decreased feed intakes, increased lying times. There may be a bit pyrexic. So there will be a, a massive scale of clinical signs and some farmers will pick it up really early and, and they'll call you just because, you know, they're not coming up to the feeds quickly or, um, you know, they're just 
not quite right as as description we often get or you'll you'll sometimes get you know a phone call to say you know there's been a couple dead overnight and and often these turn out to be pneumonias so yeah you get a massive sliding scale of clinical signs with respiratory disease wow so so what ages are we are we looking at megan how does it affect different ages in different ways yeah, I mean, all ages can be affected. Um, it, it just depends on, on the setup of the farm and the, and the housing situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get respiratory disease in calves of a few days old um, up until adult animals as well. Younger animals will always be more at risk because they have less immunity. Adult animals will often have acquired immunity throughout their life. But no, you can get it at, at any age. That's really interesting. So how would you carry out a diagnosis of specific causes of respiratory disease? Okay, so, yep, you've been called to the farm, the farmer's worried about pneumonia, and you're thinking, right, uh, I need to work out what's causing this pneumonia. The first question is um, to ask yourself is, do, do we actually need to know what pathogens are involved here? Um, because what are we going to do with that information? Are you thinking, I want to be informed about treatment? I want to be informed about using vaccines here? And the reason I'm, I'm sort of bringing this up is, is the pathogen isn't everything is because even if you go on a pathogen hunt and you, you get your diagnosis, treating that is going to make no difference unless you address the environmental factors as well. So we'll come on to them in a little while, but, but first of all, we'll concentrate on the pathogens. But you have to remember that, that diagnosing the pathogen is not everything with respiratory disease. You have to remember the other factors as well. But yeah, so you've been called on to farm. Um, you've got cases of pneumonia. How are you going to diagnose them? The first thing is if you've got a carcass, then it's worth getting some lung samples from that to do some testing on. So you can either do that by sending the carcass into the lab and, and we can take the lung samples. Or um, if you've got facilities and, and time, then feel free to, to take those lung samples on farm. We are always available to talk you through you know, what appropriate lung samples to take. But as a rule, if there's any consolidated lung tissue you want to be taking a bit of that fresh and fixed is always ideal and if you've got a, a well demarcated border then taking some block samples so just like little one centimeter cubed samples from that area from the border and, and put them into form one is, is great for for histopathology as well ideally you want to be sampling the whole of the lung field so you want to take some samples from the cranial lung and from the caudal lung so you know four or six samples from throughout is, is ideal and what do we do with those lung samples when we get them? So we would do bacterial culture on them. Um, and the big advantage of doing bacterial culture is, is we can do an antibiotic sensitivity um, to inform treatment just to make sure that the antibiotics that have been prescribed are, are appropriate and you've got that proof that they are required and are appropriate. We'd also do PCR on lung tissue um, and we've got an extended respiratory PCR now um, which covers your, your viruses and, and bacteria. So um, we've got IBR, RSV, PI3 in there and we've also got Mannheimia, Haemolytica, Pasteurella maltosida, Histophilus somni and Mycoplasma bovis in there so it's a really good PCR that, that we've got that we can use because often um, by the time you get post-mortem samples um, the carcass is a bit autolyzed and if you do bacterial cultures you might just get like post-mortem invaders being, being cultured and you might miss that there's a Pasteurella or a Histophilus there so the PCR is a really good one to have in our um, sort of diagnostic test repertoire um, that we can use. But often from post-mortem samples, we'd, we'd run it alongside bacterial culture as well. So that's what you can do with a, a dead animal. But what if you don't have a dead animal? Which is often the case, you know, you go out, you see these animals um, and they've got snotty noses or they're maybe coughing, um, but, but none have died. And, and yes, you could sacrifice one and, and get it into us. But an alive animal, what you can do is, is take a nasopharyngeal swab. So we only need one nasopharyngeal swab 
pet animal and we can run that through to DCR. Your nasopharyngeal swab wants to be a guarded swab because we don't want to pick up nasal commensal bacteria. We want to actually get, get to the root of the cause. So we, we want it guarded so we don't pick anything up on, on the way up there. It's really important that these swabs are taken from truly acute cases. If they're not acute cases, there is a risk that there might be like a secondary bacterial infection that's taken over and that's what we pick up and we miss the primary cause of the pneumonia. So that's why it's really important that they are truly acute cases. But yeah, as I said, we only need one swab per animal. And what to do is just snip the, the top of the swab off into a little bijou with or without virus transport medium. We can't take swabs with a, a wooden stem because the lignin uh, in the stem interferes with the PCR. So nasopharyngeals tend not to have wooden stems, but just want to be aware of what you're using. So yeah, that's what you can do in an acute case. And you know, if you've got four or five acute cases in front of you, take four or five swabs and call us in and we'll work out the most cost-effective way of, of testing them for you. You might find that you've got your animal in front of you, you're taking your swab and you might also be tempted to take a blood sample. So what are you taking that blood sample for? And in an acute case, then blood samples are really good just to take, pop them in the fridge, and then it's useful to go back out three weeks later and take a second blood sample. And what we're aiming to do there is we're aiming to demonstrate a rising teeter, a rising antibody teeter to any of the pathogens that we can do serology for. It's really important that the first sample is from a truly acute animal and that you wait the full three weeks before you take the second one because that will give us the best chance of seeing a rising teeter. If you take your acute sample too late, then you might get a slight rise in antibody, but it won't be convincing enough to be diagnostic that that, that was an issue. Often what vets will do is take, you know, swabs and bloods on the first day. If they get a satisfactory answer from their swabs, then we don't have to run the blood samples. But if you don't take your blood sample on that first day, then you've lost that chance to be doing that. So it's really useful to take it on that first day. And yeah, we can run serology on the viral causes, so IBR, RSV, PI3. We can also do mycoplasma bovis and Tristophilus somni as well. So that's another good one to take. And we just need red, red top shifts for that are, are sufficient. We often get phone calls from vets or, you know, their clients, farmers are wanting to just do some bloods as a snapshot to see what's going on. So they don't really have any, you know, acute cases just now, but there's just maybe a rumble in pneumonia and, and they want to know, you know, what pathogens are, are going about. These can be useful, but you have to make sure that you select the animals you take these from really carefully. So things that could go wrong with these is you could end up with colostral antibodies, like maternally derived antibodies, interfering with the interpretation so you want to make sure the animals are old enough so that maternally derived antibodies are no longer an issue so ideally you want to wait certainly over four but better neither sort of six months of age and over to be doing this you also want to make sure that animals haven't been vaccinated because we'll pick up vaccinal antibody in these bloods so always take take a really good history and just check that they haven't had like an intranasal vaccine as, as baby calves this can be really difficult to get that history if they're bought in animals and, and it's often when animals are bought in and introduced to a group that you get outbreaks of pneumonia. So it can be quite hard to, to get a snapshot of what's going on because, you know, bought in animals, you don't always know the vaccine history and they could be bringing in multiple pathogens. And if they're from different sources, then, you know, it's just going to be a massive big soup of, of, of pathogens and, and you're not going to know what, what came from where and, and what's true. You know, exposure uh, teeters and, and what might be vaccinal from, you know, history that you, do, you don't know what vaccines they've had before they came in. So, I mean, ideally your, your client would be knowing their vaccinal status when they come in, but that's not always the case. So, yeah, 
but snapshot bloods are, are useful, but you have to be really careful what you take them from and, and, and what answers you're looking for. So, so what are you looking to do with the information? But they definitely have their place. And if you're considering doing them, then, you know, give us a call and discuss what would be most appropriate and try and work out the, the best cost effective way of doing it as well. Okay, thank you, Megan. You've given us a really good overview um, of diagnosis in the live or dead animal. So what environmental factors should be considered when visiting the farm? Yeah, so this could be a podcast in itself, actually, environmental <laughs> issues with um, respiratory disease. But when when you're standing and taking your samples from the animal, definitely lift your head and, and have a look um, around the sheds as well. So, um, you know, you're looking for shed design and, and mainly ventilation is, is the big one you're looking for. So is there sufficient outlet in the roof for air to circulate? And, and is there sufficient inlet for fresh air to be brought in? If neither of these are sufficient, then you know, you'll get stale air sitting there and, and you won't get sufficient stack effect to, to circulate air throughout the shed. Yeah. So that's the first thing to look at. Next thing to think about is stocking density. So are there too many animals in the shed? Which is often the case and, and often that's unavoidable. We sometimes uh, get cases where there's actually not enough animals in the shed. So this can come about when you've got small calves in a big shed there's not enough of them to produce a sufficient stack effect um so that that could, you know if you're looking at pneumonia and, and little baby calves that that could be a factor if they're in a few calves in a very big shed with a high roof then the stack effect won't, won't be sufficient there so you can have too many animals in a shed but you can also have too few animals in a shed look at the age range in the shed so are there adult animals sharing airspace with younger animals adult animals will always have more immunity than, than younger animals to respiratory pathogens so if you're getting outbreaks in that, that scenario, then, you know, mixing the ages is, is, is not ideal. Again, sometimes it can be avoided, but you just have to, you know, do the best you can with the facilities you have. Another thing to just uh, sort of quiz them about is, uh, are there any bought-in animals mixing with homebred animals? And um, We often see outbreaks um, of disease uh, after animals have been, been bought in and, and mixed with homebred ones. So ideally, you want your bought-in ones to be kept separate from homebred ones but again that's not always possible and especially if bought-in ones are multi-sourced as well they're going to have to mix in themselves but these are all things just to sort of have a chat to your client about and see see what you could do to change and I think we all think that you know changing sheds shed alterations are, are massively expensive but from a cost benefit point of view it can in the long run be beneficial if you know if they're losing cattle to pneumonia if they are spending time and treating them if they're spending money on drugs treating them and and they're likely to have subclinical production loss as well you know something simple that they can change the shed such as taking the ridge off to to improve the outlet or changing the inlets on the sides although it might seem expensive at the time if, if you sit down and do the sums it, it very often is beneficial in the long run yeah that's 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 really interesting actually um and it's it's something that perhaps a, a farmer hasn't considered before having a conversation with their vet about it and it's huge isn't it it's a huge burden of disease to tackle in a simple way sometimes yeah so sometimes it just takes a pair of fresh eyes walking into a shed to see things that if you're seeing the shed every day you don't notice but with a fresh pair of eyes in the shed yeah they pick up on it straight away yeah oh absolutely you don't see the little things yeah yeah no that's that's a really good point (laughs) 
So what type of treatments are available for respiratory disease then, Megan? So treatment-wise, you've obviously got your um, your antibiotics and, and anti-inflammatories would be the mainstay of, of respiratory disease treatment. But often farmers will get very frustrated and, and vets as well. You know, you're using antibiotics, they're not working. And, and that's when going on the pathogen hunt probably is useful because it will inform treatment decisions. First of all, are antibiotics indicated would be the first question you have to answer. And if they are, are the antibiotics yeah. that you're using correct choice? So that's where doing culture and sensitivity on lung tissue is, is really, really useful. The other thing to, to think about after you've done your pathogen hunt is, is do you want to introduce any vaccines? Often it's too late by the time mm-hmm. you've got you know clinical cases in front of you, but it's something you might want to consider for you know the next year or the next cohort of calves that are coming in. The important thing with vaccines is to make sure that they're on board before the risk period so you know for cattle at housing you know suckle calves being housed you, you ideally want the full course to be completed a good couple of weeks before housing so that at the risk period they are fully protected and and it's really hard to fit that in, in the farming calendar but if you're doing you know health planning with your clients it's something to get you know get on their calendar that you know the middle of the summer you're going to have to start vaccinating these calves so that by, by the time they're housed October time they're covered and and you can tell it to them that if, if you don't proactively do it on time like that, then they're not going to be getting the benefit of these vaccines. I mean, yes, they're paying for them, they're spending the time putting them in, putting into them, but they're still seeing disease because the, the cattle aren't fully protected by the time they, um, they're housed and, and the time they're coming across these pathogens. So, yeah, it really needs careful planning if you're going to use vaccines. The other thing to remember as well is you could vaccinate every single animal with, with everything that we can vaccinate against, but unless the environmental things are addressed, you're still going to see disease. So so treatment of respiratory disease, de- you know, it definitely has its place, but, you know, the emphasis should always be on control and, and you know, doing your pathogen hunt, assessing if vaccines are are useful as a very small part of that. And you need to sort of look at the, the environmental aspects as well. So the, the, the vet obviously has an important role in helping the farmer to um, vaccine plan essentially and and I know we've covered treatments so what prevention and control measures can be put in place on the farm to stop the disease happening in the first place or to limit it? Yeah so this is a really good thing to sit down at the um, you know health plan review and and discuss like you can get a real bit of meat in this and it should be, you know, if you've got clients that are having significant respiratory disease, it should be a fair chunk of the herd plan to try and minimise it, you know, in, in years going forward. So the first thing to do is, you know, if you've done any diagnostics throughout the year, collate those results and, and have a look at, you know, what pathogens you've got. It's really easy to do, you know, testing on one individual animal and say, well, that had, you know, a bacterial pneumonia and then you forget about it. And then, you know, a few months later, you do the same in another one. Oh, that one had mycoplasma and and the herd health plan is a really good time to sort of collate all these results that you've got, sit down with your client and say, right, so we've got all these, you know, all these pathogens we've detected this year. And then have a chat about, you know, were these bought in animals, were these homebred animals? If there's specific pathogens, you know, like some mycoplasma, think about, you know, where where's that come from? Do we have evidence of mycoplasma elsewhere in the herd? So, you know, if it's a, if it's a dairy, are you getting cases of mastitis, that sort of thing? So get them all together, think about, you know, how can you control these is a vaccine appropriate? If it is, then you know introduce it, get it in the calendar when that that vaccine course is going to start to make sure it's on board in before the risk period. And then and the like dairy calves being born, you know, born and housed, you know, you just do that in a timely manner as soon as you can. Suckle calves, 
that are being housed in the back end. It's, it's a bit different. You need to sort of proactively plan to get that, that on board before housing. Think about other things, you know, talking about suckle calves, how are they weaned? Could that stress be reduced? So respiratory disease is massively connected to weaning stress, housing stress, you know, other procedures that are being performed, such as, you know, castration, that sort of thing. Can all this be sort of staged a bit more rather than doing it all in the one day just to, to minimise that, that stress? Because stress is a massive factor in respiratory disease. So if you can reduce that as well, then that will reduce the risk of disease. Anything like that you can build into the health plan. Other control methods, think about, I'm thinking more maybe more about like adult animals or young stock, but not baby calves have the been treated post-housing for potential lungworm infection that they picked up during the summer. So have any has any testing been done? Um, have they been treated? And I guess that's something to think about when you're when you're out at a case as well. You know, if it's if they're they're just post housing um, or they haven't been treated since being housed, then that's always one to to have at the back of your mind. Other concurrent disease such as BVD is always worth having in mind as well, um, and and testing if you're if you're not sure. Other control methods we've talked about shed design, ventilation. You know, do a cost benefit. It's very often cost effective to do these changes and think about you know the buildings on farm. Could you shuffle things about so you've not got adult animals in the same airspace as, as younger animals, that sort of thing? Um, and it often, like I said earlier, it just takes a fresh pair of eyes to walk onto a farm and see, you know, you don't always have to keep this stage of animal in this shed. You know, we can move them over here and just shuffle things about a bit. So, yeah, your main control methods are, you know, think about the environmental factors, do do a bit of diagnostic work, see what pathogens are there. Would vaccine be beneficial? Are the treatments you're using appropriate? And is there any concurrent disease going on? So lungworm, BVD would be the big ones we think about. Also this year, we've we've seen a lot of animals at housing with high worm, bur- worm burdens, just like gutworms, um, which will pull them down, causing a bit of stress and could consequently um, result in respiratory disease outbreaks. So anything like that, just make sure all that's been addressed and you've sort of dotted, dotted the I's and crossed the T's, so to speak. Thank you, Megan. Um, you've really covered a lot of information and tips um, in this podcast. So thanks for taking part and sharing your knowledge with us. And thank you to our listeners um, for tuning in. And please remember, we have other episodes available on the SRUC website and on platforms such as Spotify. So thanks very much. And listen out for our next episode. Thank you.